Thanks for listening to our Faith Church podcast. Let's listen to today's message. Amen. Amen. Well, look at somebody next to you and say, worship was just for you this morning. And now look at somebody on the other side of you and say, the rest is for me. Wow. I want to just again reiterate what my wife just said, because there is something about the beauty of multi-generational, multi-ethnos worship. The beauty of God's creation coming together, abandoned from ourselves and just in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God. Wow. I am, I feel like we've already had church, right? And I was thinking as we were worshiping, there was a time in my life because before Lisa and I got married, I got married at the age of 52 and never been married. And when I got radically saved, I was almost 25, athlete in the fitness business. And uh, I had a, a well-known prophetic voice who used to say to me, Doug, your wife is right around the corner. And many years later, when I still didn't have a wife, she goes, don't blame me, you've been running from the corner. <laughs> so she loves Lisa. But uh, the Lord had the right timing because God had to do a work in me. Oftentimes he has to do a work in us so he can do a work through us, right? And so although I was traveling and ministering and all these things, God was still working on me so I could be the, the, the husband and the father that I needed to be because I didn't have those kinds of role models growing up. My biological father was, during the Korean War, was called underwater demolition frogman. During the Vietnam War, he was part of the crossover. Now you call them Navy SEALs. My stepfather was a hospital corpsman, also career military. And so I, they were always out because of the war, because of Vietnam War. And there was just an awkwardness because they tried to be good dads and they intended to be good dads, but there was, a, there was just a separation. How many know we can sometimes have a father in the home, but they're absentee? And so I grew up not really having that kind of a godly role model until the Lord really did a work in me when I totally surrendered to his calling. In fact, it was in 1981, although I professed to be a Christian, running a chain of fitness centers, used to run stop smoking centers, medical uh, stop uh, weight reduction medical clinics, fitness centers, and then open up my own place. And I had people back in those days, you may not remember if you're too young, but back in those days, our football team in Houston was called the Houston Oilers. And uh, so I used to have some of the, the Houston Oilers uh, cheerleaders as well as some of the football players and their wives would come and I would do training for them and, and some baseball players, I would do training for them. And, uh, but during that time, I was living in sin, professing to be a Christian, living with a girl from another country who had moved to Houston. Um, I, was, I was never faithful to her, any other woman in my life, but professing to be a Christian. I was doing drugs and partying. And then when my best friend was killed over a drug deal, I remember going to my office in my exercise business, went to my knees and said, God, I just can't take this anymore. And I'm not trying to give you some theological doctrine here, but let me just tell you what happened to me. Because from the time I was a little boy, I was healed by going blind when I was eight years old. God did miracle after miracle after miracle in my life. I didn't care what church it was. If there was a van or a bus or a neighbor going to church, I knew I wanted to go. But I never let it become deep in me. I always professed Christ, but every time I got in trouble because I was doing drugs or I was partying, I'd beg God to help me, but then I'd go right back into it after he helped me. And in that moment, that point of accountability at almost 25 years old, here's what the Lord said. It wasn't audible, but it could have been. It was so strong in my spirit. 
when I heard the Lord say to me, don't call me Lord anymore unless you're willing to live for me. And so I used all the excuses and justified my, by excuse rather than being justified by faith. And I said, Jesus, you know, I, I know you're the son of God. I, you, you happen to be my savior. You're just not my Lord right now. And, and, you know, I know I'm saved by grace. And again, I'm not trying to make a doctrine out of this. But what I'm telling you what happened to me at that moment. Of all the miracles I saw in my life and all the things that happened in my life, that moment became a moment of accountability. All the other times I prayed for help, all the other times I went to church, and all the other times, that moment something happened when the Lord said, don't call me Lord anymore unless you're willing to live for me. Later when I read scripture, he actually says, don't call me Lord, Lord. And so when I made that excuse, but Jesus, I know you're the son of God, and, and here's what he spoke again into my spirit. It wasn't audible, but it was a very strong conviction. Even the demons of hell know who I am. What makes you any different? That moment, the fear of the Lord came into my life. And I turned around and said, Lord, if you can do anything with someone like me who has broken your heart and brought shame to your name, then I will give you the rest of my life and make myself available to you if you can do something with someone like me. Lightning didn't go off, but I felt this overwhelming sense of God's great and amazing grace because something in that moment took place that was different than every other time. I'd go into the Bible and things came alive that I never understood before, just start popping out and I didn't even know what gifts of the Spirit were and I began to operate in words of knowledge and, and, and words of prophecy and people would come into my exercise business and I'd read something in the Bible and I'd look at them and say, say um, you know, I feel like I'm supposed to tell you something. I didn't even know what that was. And they'd start crying. Say, How did you know that? I don't know. I was just an available vessel that God began to pour himself into because I was honest with him. There are four things I found that are attractive to God's, to bring, attract God's presence. One is understanding what true holiness is. Holiness is not some sort of external piety, but it's an inward consecration that says, my life is not my own God, do whatever you need to do. And I kind of look at it this way when I'm going through difficulties and saying, God, are you sure you called me after all these years, 40 years now? God, are you sure I'm the right person? I, you know, I'm just, a, I was born out of wedlock in, in, in Japan. My dad was in the military. He did, I was born in a military base, but he wasn't really married to my mom. And then, we, then they got married. I came to California when I was almost three. And just, I was thinking of all these things. I'm not the right person, God. But God doesn't always pick those who are most qualified or have the most. He's looking for availability and obedience. Obedience, simple obedience is the highest form of worship because the first time we ever see the word worship, the point of first reference in scripture is not in the context of singing or instruments as much as, as we love that. That's an external expression of obedience. Is, it's an obedience to God. Worship in Scripture, the first time the word is actually used is under the context of obedience to God. So I believe simple obedience to God is the highest form of worship. So that when we do worship with voice and sound and instruments, it's an external expression of the internal consecration of our heart. Sometimes when I'm going through it, I'll, I'll think of the, the, the old classic uh, Wizard of Oz. And Dorothy used to click her heels and say, I want to go home. I want to go home. My type of holiness was God. I say, God, my life is not my own. 
it belongs to you. And I, I sometimes envision myself, and I'll do this in private with my wife, I go, my life is not my own. My life is not my own. Holiness is not external piety, but it's this inward consecration that says, God, my life belongs to you. And so I want to honor you in all that I do say and think, that you be glorified in all that I do say and think, in my actions, in my gestures, in my thoughts. I want to glorify you. And secondly, the things I've found that attracts God's presence, and I keep it simple. I do the four H's because it's for me. Holiness, second is humility. When we have a posture of humility before God, he gives us a confidence in him that is not a confidence in self. See, true humility is not going around putting ourselves down. It's not a false humility. True humility recognizes we're nothing without him. But he's everything. And it's a privilege to serve him. I like what David Livingston used to say, the great missionary to Southern Africa. He would say, he would say why is it when an earthly king commissions us, we consider it an honor? But when the heavenly king commissions us, we call it a sacrifice. I have two prayer times every morning. My first one, this morning, I'm in a hotel or if I'm at home, I never leave anywhere I am without my two prayer times. It doesn't have to be long, but my first prayer time is when I wake up, the first thing I want to do is just begin to thank the Lord just because, because, because of who he is. I don't ask him for anything. I have no supplications. I just begin to thank him for everything I can think about. And then I'll get up and brush my teeth for the first time that week. And I'm just, oh, I brush my teeth. <laughs> and, and, and I'll get up, brush my teeth. I have a little, maybe if I have time for devotions or this morning, I didn't have time except for my notes for what I want to share this morning. But then I will not leave. I don't care if I'm running late. I will not leave until I do my knee time. And my knee time is where I come before him in humility and say, God, look, it's a privilege to serve you. We all make little sacrifices, but it's not a sacrifice to serve you. It's an honor and a privilege to serve you. And God, I recognize I'm way beyond my pay grade. I don't even know how I got here. I feel like I'm the Asian Forrest Gump. I just showed up in the picture. I said, available and simple obedience. He took me at my word. And so I just say, Lord, help me with all the demands. What's going on all night last night and the last few days with Florida and we're helping to coordinate things there and we're, we're doing in Puerto Rico still after hurricane went through there and helping with the Kentucky flood still. And there's so many things that stretch us and it seems so overwhelming that we can't even keep up with it. That's what we need, the abounding, great and amazing grace of God to empower us because we can't do it alone and we can't do it without him for sure. And so that's where I go to that need time and say, God, I just need you. And I pray this morning, Lord, just like we came here, God, that we don't just come to get touched. I'm talking about me. That every time, even if I'm the, the speaker or I'm the invited guest, I don't want to ever gather with my brothers and sisters just to be touched. I want to come changed. Yeah. And that when we leave together, that we've celebrated and glorified the name of Jesus and the presence of God, that we are empowered and equipped and encouraged to go out and make a difference, yes. including me. I never want to come and get with, with just a, a haphazard attitude that because we've been to church, let's go have church. I want to be able to come and know that every time is with a fresh new expectation that God wants to do something fresh manna every time we gather in a corporate gathering of worship because corporate anointing is released when we are in agreement together according to the character, nature, word, and God, and the God's spirit. Amen? And so I do that. I pray all those things. Say, God, be glorified in all they do. Same thing. I pray for a right spirit, a clean heart, sharp, stable, sound mind. 
so that when I come before your people, what I learned from David Wilkerson, he's just speaking to my life, and he would say, before you gather before God's people, make sure before what you speak is that you weep between the porch and the altar for those that God is allowing you to, the privilege to minister to. So you're not giving your flesh. In fact, one of the things that Lisa and I do every time we finish ministering, just like it make us one, every time we leave a meeting where I've shared, I say, honey, would you help me seal the deal? And what I mean by that, we pray, humble ourselves, say, God, whatever may have been spoken out of my flesh or Doug's flesh, let it be blown away as chaff, never be to be remembered again. But those things that were birthed by the Spirit of God, let it go deep in the hearts of people. Let it help empower them and change them, save, heal, and liberate and deliver them. Because we know it's you, God, that does that. It's the anointing of God that breaks the yokes of bondage. It's not the works of my talents or my flesh. I'm just a vessel that God is given the privilege to use. I'm given the privilege to be used. So we leave that, we come. And I, I came this morning, and I felt like I got a drink from God. In the time of worship, the fellowship, the environment, I was in, in tears. And Lisa can tell you, I always look for this kind of multi-generational multi-ethnos gathering because that's what heaven will be like. And it tells me that God is uniquely equipping a congregation or a people to make a huge difference, not just in the local community, but because of that, God wants to expand the borders of the tent, the borders of the influence. And then the third thing for me that I believe attracts God's presence and I want to be reminded every day is the place that's holiness Humility, and the third is honesty. That I would be so honest with God, even about my vulnerabilities. In a book I wrote, I was actually asked to do for a major denomination, uh, speak at their convention for two days to all the pastors, and I did my theme was on Leadership Awakening, which later became my book that came out called Leadership Awakening. But I talked about the seven things that Nehemiah had to contend with when he sought the will of God to help the people and the scatteredness of the people and the brokenness of the city walls of Jerusalem. Those same things come against us as Christians, but one of the most powerful things that comes against us, it's like a, a powerful drug, is discouragement. Discouragement knocks the wind out of us. It gets us off balance. And if we're not honest with ourselves, we begin to try to make things happen out of our own ability and flesh, and we try to hang on to something when God's trying to do some purging and do some refining. How many know God's promises are yes and amen? And if God's given us a covenant promise, he's given us promises, he will keep those promises. Just like he had the promise to Israel, of, which should have taken 11 to 14 days from Egypt to the promised land, took them 40 years because of lust, idolatry, sexual morality, tempting Christ, murmuring, which is like a, a spiritual immune deficiency disease. It's like cancers of the body destroying other cancers of the body. Every great move of God is inhibited or hindered when there begins to be a seditious spirit. I'm not so concerned about Jezebel from the outside. I'm more concerned about Absalom from the inside. Because just like David said, I could have handled it if it had been an enemy. But it was a family confidant, a friend, Ahithophel. It, that broke his heart because it comes from within. And then his own son. It becomes this spirit of sedition which undermines God's constituted authority, God's ultimate authority, but also those he sets in order for us to be led by. I'm not talking about illegal, uh, 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 unscriptural, 
or, or profane things. I'm talking about, we all have different admissions and uh, uh, administrations and operations, but if there's nothing illegal, immoral, or unscriptural, then, then just flow together because sometimes people see things in leadership that we don't see. It's like a parent with their children. I'm not saying blind following the blind. I'm talking about making sure that we have a right spirit in how we even approach those we disagree with. It's all about our response in the Lord, not a response according to the flesh. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says that, in the, in, in, that the workings of Satan will come with signs and wonders. But the only way to, to know the difference between the authentic and the strange and, and the counterfeit is to have the discernment because of the love of truth. That I love the truth more than I love my own self. You know, in the fitness business, we used to say, no pain, no gain. Now I say, Lord, make it hurt so good. <laughs> I want to love the truth more than myself. Because it's the truth. If we don't have a love for truth, we're given over to strong delusion. And we live in a day where we need Solomon's wisdom, actually God's wisdom that he gave Solomon. We need discernment like never before. That we're not being divided. Josephus, the Jewish historian, prior to the destruction of Jerusalem and the desecration of the temple, that he, he wrote about what he experienced and saw for himself. And he noticed that prior to Rome coming and desecrating the temple and, and destroying Jerusalem, prior to that, there began to be infighting. Families were vastly divided over spiritual things, religious things, and political things. That they allowed those things to get them off balance, become discouraged, became angry, began to attack each other to the point that it was, it was craziness in the, in the land. And it was under that context and I use the analogy in a type of shadow of where we are today as the church. We can't let the outside come and divide and conquer us. We, are one, we have more in common than we have that divides us in the church. Micah 4 is that all people from all backgrounds are welcome at the mountain of the Lord. And together we put aside our weapons of warfare against each other, turn them into harvesting tools together so that the outcasts, the lame, and the sick, the hurting, the broken, together become a strong nation, a strong church. So I want to love the truth more than my fact that I'm not Japanese first. I'm not Japanese-American first. I'm not even Asian-American first. We all get lumped into groups, don't we? I'm not saying I'm not proud of, of, of enjoying some of my heritage and I learn from those things and I quote some things. I learned from the samurai and from my wrestling coach that I used to have was a gold medalist in the Greco-Roman wrestling and another wrestling coach. It was a gold medalist in the Tokyo Olympics, a Japanese wrestler. These are some of my senses. I'm proud of some of that. But my first commitment as a believer is not the fact that I was born in Japan or Japanese-American, Asian-American. My first commitment is not ethnocentricity. My first commitment is the centrality of the cross. And as Jesus said, as Jesus said, he said, my, father, my mother, my brother, my sister are those who do the will of he who sent me. So this is my family. We are family together, amen? And we may come from different backgrounds, but isn't the beauty of God's creation? I was, uh, had Alveda King, the, the niece of the late Martin Luther King Jr., and she's, we've done quite a few things together, ministry with Bishop uh, Harry Jackson, the late Bishop Harry Jackson, done so many things together. And, and yet we used to talk about it on my recent podcast with Alveda King. She said, you know, I know what people mean when they say God is colorblind, but God's not colorblind. If they think God's colorblind, they need to get some colorblind glasses. And I agree because God loves the beauty of his creation. 
He loves black and white, brown, red, and yellow. But he loves it when we're working together as a family, his family, that Joseph may got a coat of many colors, but the heavenly father, the creator of the heavens and the earth, wants to give his son Jesus the body. All of us crossing our barriers, coming together at the centrality of the cross because of the blood of Jesus, we now become that gift given to the son. Amen? So I want to be a person who loves the truth more than I love myself. I was sharing at a gathering of about 16,000, 16, 17,000 people at a political gathering, not because I'm political, because I happen to be considered a, uh, I was given a hip-hop award by the Christian hip-hop group, and they, they called me the OG award. I'm thinking, <laughs> well, I'm an old guy or what, you know? I am going to be 50 for the 16th time in a couple of weeks, but, and, uh, but I realized they were trying to show respect. And so out of that, in my city of Houston, there was a gathering many years ago, and they asked me to come speak as an invocation for a couple minutes, kind of welcome everybody and, and just kind of set the tone in prayer. But I didn't want to just do that. I felt like God had given me a word for, this genera- for our generation and our nation. I said, God, but I'm a man under authority, so what you're putting in me, if this is really you, you're going to have to do a miracle because they're not going to give me more time. <laughs> I'm in the green room. And the person who's the chairman of that political party comes up and apologizes to me and says, uh, Mr. Stringer, or Reverend Stringer, whatever they said, they said, Senator so-and-so is not ready. Can you stretch your time for a few more minutes? I'm going, what? I won't get into everything I said, but I did talk quoting great kings and leaders of the past, like Solomon, like Hezekiah, like hope deferred makes the heart sick. That we need today from preachers to politicians and from pulpits to political offices and all in between. What we need more than anything for this next generation to to emulate is a revival of of character. We need the characteristics of the kingdom because it's the characteristics of the kingdom that emanate from the character of the king, King Jesus. And that's who they need to see. When we get in together and worship, there's something that, that, that we are equalized in the presence of a holy God. That all of a sudden puts aside all the things that could separate us because we're focusing on fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the shame and the suffering of the cross. If we could keep our eyes focused, it's about perspective. See, perception is not always the truth, but it is the truth to those who perceive it. So I want to be one who loves the truth so I'm not given over to delusion. I want to have discernment. And the fourth H is a place of honor. I limit my future by how I treat other people. And there's even a multi-generational context to this. As when I was a young minister, even if I disagreed and I had a new way of doing things and I, maybe I had a new methodology as I was passionate for God, I wanted to live holy for God, but I did things differently and it, it wasn't old school, but I had an old soul, so to speak. I just, I felt like there's some things that that I didn't want, I felt like we're good in tradition, not just because of the style of worship, but because I think holiness and righteousness are things that are biblical. And so even early on, I say, God, I want to honor those who've laid the foundations and paid the price and, and made a sacrifice for me to build on. Because if I don't build on foundations, I have nothing to build on. And I think what we are today, as an older generation, now I'm part of the, you know, I was a young Samuel then, I feel like I'm the old Samuel now, just calling out destiny out of people, reading into people, saying there's more for God, and God wants to do in your life, and call that out, come forth into your destiny. 
So from a young Samuel to the older Samuel now, because I believe it's time for a generation of young people to rise up as a new generation of righteous prophets, a prophetic generation, preparing the way for revival and the coming of the Lord. But it comes with honor. When you appreciate your spouse, they reciprocate in the way that you appreciate. If you depreciate them, they respond accordingly as well. If we're going to honor our Heavenly Father, then we have to honor one another. Even in our strong disagreements, we can show civility in our discourse. God's looking for a church that truly is the bride. And as broken, as fragmented as we can be, it's still the body that Jesus gave his life for. And we should steward that relationship of the kingdom. Because while men reach for thrones to build their own kingdoms, Jesus reached for a towel to wash men's feet. While men reach for exalted in high places, Jesus, the most exalted one, left the highest place to pursue us. What a great example of taking the high road and being who God's called us to be. Amen? So holiness, humility, honesty, and honor. Let me just tell you a quick story about my mom. My mom was a little 4 foot 11 Japanese lady, and uh, when she uh, became a widow, uh, she was talking to my little brother and sister, nine and ten years younger than me, and they were saying, uh, well, Mom, why don't you come stay with us and help take care of your grandkids? And my mother said, no, I stay with Dougie, my oldest boy. I'm going, that's great. <laughs> oldest Asian son responsibility. And she kept saying, no, no, I stay with Dougie. So she moved into, came to Houston, um, moved in with me. I first got her an apartment, then we got a house together, and it was my house, and, you know, I paid the bills. It's my house. But when she moved in with me, she took over the whole house. She got the master bedroom. She got the kitchen. She got everything. I got the little guest bathroom and the, and the bedroom next to the guest bathroom. And I got a little a library for my study because of all my books. But it's my house. So the thermostat was by my room. Now, living in Houston, I like it around 72. And my, my mother liked it around 77, but it was my house. I turn it down when I go to bed at night, turn it back down to 72. I'm finally getting comfortable. I can just see the visual. My mom walking from her master bedroom to my little guest room over by the thermostat and walking across the house going, Dougie, yo, I gonna get pneumonia, yo. I can hear her murmuring. I'm thinking, this is my house. Growing up, always would make us take our shoes off. Take your shoes off. So this is my house. I have guests come over. There's something about mamas, right? I don't care how big and old I was. She's still 4 foot 11, but I was afraid of my mom. I, I walk into my shoes. Huh? What's the matter? Take your shoes off. I go, Mom, this is my house. I don't care. I change your diaper when you're baby, you know. Even she had this sixth sense that if I try to sneak in to get something in the house, Daddy, I told you, take your shoes off. Going, How did she know these things? And prior to her passing away, uh, I was asked to speak to Korean business leaders and Japanese business leaders and pastors throughout Asia in Tokyo. And I thought, well, since I'm being invited to go, I wonder if my brother and sister and I could take up some extra money and buy a ticket for my mom to go visit her family in Japan. I had no idea that she'd be gone within the next three or four months. I just wanted to honor her. I had enough extra points to get two free upgrades on business first class. 
from Houston to Tokyo. But when we got there, uh, they, only, they only had room for one. So we began to banter at the counter. I'm saying, Mom, you take it. No, Dougie, it's okay. I'm so small. You go. I go, Mom, I want to honor you. We're going, I'm trying to honor her. She goes, Dougie, no, I'm okay. I had to finally force her to go stay in first class. Unbeknownst to me, there was people from other countries that knew who I was. And years later, they came to me and said, you don't know how much it meant to see a person that we considered of high stature honoring your mother like that. It ministered to us. Every few minutes, because they serve you all kinds of stuff in first class, right? Every My mother comes down the aisle. I'm in coach. I'm miserable, but she's, Dougie, yo, they give me too much food. Yo, you come eat it. I, I can't. <laughs> On that trip, I was able to minister to some of her relatives, lead them to the Lord. And then when we came back, we spent our last Christmas together in that December because my um, brother, my sister, and her husband were out of, out of state. We stayed uh, uh, in Austin, Texas. After the last few months of her life, we moved her to Austin to be near my uh, sister. Unbeknownst to any of us, she was going to be gone. So it was December of that year, the same year. It was in October. I took her to Japan. December, we're spending time, just she and I, up in Austin, Texas area. But we forgot that everything's closed on Christmas Day. So we went everywhere looking for something to eat on Christmas Day together. Me and my 4'11 mom. Couldn't find anything. Couldn't even find a good Chinese restaurant, which should be open in the area. <laughs> and so we found a gas station that has little, you know, those cold sandwiches in the, in, the, in the thing. That's what we shared for our Christmas meal together. But I'll never, I would never change that moment. Every time I drive by that spot, I remind my wife, that's where my mom and I had our last Christmas together. By March of that year, she had a fall. We thought it was a stroke, but it turned out that she had a metastasized cancer, lungs and brain cancer, that we had no clue she had. And within less than four weeks, she was gone by April of that year. I have no regrets. I honored my mom. See, there's something about holiness, humility, honesty with God and with ourselves and honor. By honoring God, we also honor others because it releases God's blessing. When, you, when a younger generation learns that they, can't, they can be fresh and new in their ideas but never disregard the foundations that have been already laid for you. Because if you show disrespect to the former generation, you will limit your future. You might be so creative and have all kinds of ideas, but if you show disrespect, it dishonors God. But when you also show respect, the older generation has a tendency to say, well, how can I bless you? Opens doors. I have spiritual sons and daughters that just the other day, one of my, spirit, uh, uh, one of my spiritual sons is a, a chaplain for the N NBA, and uh, he just honors me all the time by always publicly saying, I, the doors have been opened because of, because of my relationship with you, Doug. Thank you so much for believing in me. When he was young, he couldn't even communicate because he stuttered so bad. But God did a miracle in his life. And now he's a communicator, writing books and speaking for, as a chaplain in the NBA. And, and here's a guy who doesn't need me, but yet he continues to honor those who made foundations for him. See, there's something about when you honor the former generation, 
they can still open doors and pave a way from that honor to help you to your future. But older generation, we've got to quit being afraid. I like Gary and Harriet's ministry, 11th Hour Ministries, because I sometimes I have to remind myself, don't be like the 11th hour, or the early morning laborers at the 11th hour being jealous of the new ones coming on the scene. But rejoice that they're there and bless them. Because what God's about to do is a multi-generational anointing for a prophetic generation to prepare for revival in the coming of the Lord. Amen? I got way off my notes, so I'm going to finish here in a moment because I just want to encourage you out of Colossians chapter 1, beginning of verse 12, because, Pastor, you said it a few times at the first service and second service about the woman who needed a breakthrough and got an inheritance that she didn't know she had. There are so many people. I've ministered to people with underground churches in Iran and underground churches in Vietnam and so many places. And even here, we sometimes forget that we already have an inheritance that we don't have to take by force. I debated with a professor of philosophy from Tehran University. I was on a live TV program airing into Iran and throughout the Middle East, and they're arguing with me on television, live television. They called in, and I finally said this. If you're a philosophy professor, do you love the truth? If the truth was presented to you, he goes, absolutely. I said, so putting aside your preconceived ideas and your perceptions, if the truth were to reveal itself to you, would you take the truth? Yes, absolutely. I said, so if you believe that Jesus is a prophet, but you don't believe he's the son of God, do you believe Jesus could lie? Well, no, he's a prophet. I said, so will you do something with me? I'm not asking you to say that you're going to surrender to that fact that he is Jesus, the son of the living God, but I'm going to ask you to be honest in your prayer and say, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, reveal yourself to me. Because I believe that he will. And we went argue back and forth. Another woman, similarly, she was a, interceded hours a day as a radical Muslim, hated Christians, and her mom, who was in deathbed, began to watch the TV programs that we were on. Called in and gave her life to the Lord. The mother did. The daughter found out, was so angry, she called in and was cursing us out, cursing out the people that were hosting the show and cursing them out. Do you realize now that, that my mother and I, we were going we to commit suicide so we'd be together in eternity together with, with, uh, with Allah and so on. And, and uh, now, she, now I won't be with her. And so I said the same thing. Even if you don't believe, I'm going to ask you to be honest. Jesus, if you are who you say you are, reveal yourself to me. And he will. Well, she comes home one day after she's been cursing us out, comes home. Her mother, who was in a deathbed, is out cooking. And she got, what are you doing, mom? And the mom goes, what am I doing? And almost fainted, like, what am I doing? God had healed her. So then the daughter calls, gives her life to the Lord. She prayed that prayer. Lisa and I had the pleasure of being with leaders of 500 underground churches on the border of Iran. And when we got there, we were so exhausted, so tired, because we traveled all night. And they said, please come, come down to the ballroom now. They're worshiping, and they, they want to meet you, since you're one of the keynote speakers. I said, oh, can we just get some rest? Oh, please come. So we're down there, and all of a sudden, we meet all these people just exuberantly worshiping God, who can't do so openly in their own country. But yet here they are down, dancing and worshiping and singing and out loud. And then this woman introduces herself to me with her mom and says, I'm the one who used to curse you 
and curse the program. Here's my mother healed, and now I'm part of helping oversee 500 underground churches in Iran. We never know how our simple availability and simple obedience can change not just individuals, because what God does in the kingdom is not by addition, but by multiplication. If I sow an apple seed, it doesn't produce one apple. It produces a tree. When we sow to our future, when we sow of our time, talent, resources for the kingdom, it comes back in harvest. We're always sowing to our future. If we keep our focus fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So about inheritance, I tell them, you don't have to take by force. You don't have to, to, you know, really, if you look at what's happening in the Middle East right now, we're praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Today is the day to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and the Middle East and as well on the first Sunday of every October. And, uh, and as we're praying for that, we're realizing much of the world conflict comes from that epicenter. The sons and the children of Ketera, who is Iranian, northern India, other parts of the Middle East that came from the wife after Sarah and after Hagar that had more children with, with Ketera than he did with Sarah or Hagar. So you have the descendants of Ketera, which is like the Iranians, the Persians, and northern India. You have the, the, the sons and the children of, of, uh, of Hagar, which become a lot now today we see in the Arab world, and many of them have moved into Islam. And then we see the children, descendants of, of, of Sarah, Isaac, and so on. And so you see, really, if you look historically, it's all about sibling rivalry. It's about cousins and uncles and aunts and brothers and sisters that were all contending, but they all equate themselves to Abraham. And so I try to encourage people, you don't have to take by force what God already wants to give you through his son. In Colossians 1.12, it says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. I was sharing this morning that another mentor, uh, Jack Hayford, um, said one time to a few of us, he said, look, when I received an inheritance from my mother, my, my, my siblings and I, it's not because we did anything special. It's because our name was Hayford. And when he said that, it resonated with me. We have an inheritance to steward, not because we deserve it. It's because of what Christ has already done for us. So it's the privilege of stewardship. So I don't have to take by force something that God already wants to bless us with in stewardship. It goes on to say that, that Jesus, the son of God's love, by which we have this inheritance, that Jesus, all things were made to, through, for, and by him, that every dominion, principality, rulership, and, 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 uh, and rulership and dominion is subject to him, or every kingdom is subject to him in the seen and unseen realm. So if we yield to Jesus by which we receive this inheritance by the Father because of Jesus, then why do we have to try to force something that God already wants us to steward? Now, now think about this for a moment. And it, this had to come, become a revelation. I, mean, I was with Ben Kinchlow and, and Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole who have gone to be with the Lord. I'm still on the board of the Christian Men's Network that Dr. Cole started. And one time I was going through it in the 80s. I was just having a pity party and, and my heart was hurting and I, was, I couldn't eat for over two weeks, not because I was fasting, just because I was miserable. And I get a call from Dr. Cole. He says, Doug, I need you in Dallas with Ben Kinchlow and I. We're having a men's event for fathers and sons. I want you to be there to, be, to see what God is doing. And, and I said, Dr. Cole, I can't make it. 
But he was pretty forceful. Fathers will do this. He goes, he goes I need you there. I go, oh, man. I honor him, right? So I get on a plane and about, on the flight, it's about an hour flight from Houston to Dallas. I'm miserable. And this lady next to me, I don't know what it is about my whole life, even before I was a Christian. People want to tell me their problems. I'm on the flight. She's telling me all of her problems. She's crying. I'm crying. She thinks I'm crying for her. I'm actually crying for myself. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, lady, can't you see you got my own problems? But during that moment, the Lord began to speak to me. And here's what he said. Again, not audible, but it could have been so strong. He said, Doug, there's always room for one more at the foot of the cross. And you feel so bad right now that you're so miserable that if you did not have me, would you go out and cover it up your pain by getting drunk like you used to? Yes. Doug, you hurt so bad right now that if you didn't have me, would you go out and try to... Uh, uh, <laughs> would you cover it up with, with drugs to, to cover up the pain? I said, absolutely. Then here's the clincher. He said, would you go out and be promiscuous like you used to to cover up temporarily the, the, the pain and the frustration? Yes, Lord, I would. And then here's what he said. Doug, you hurt so bad right now over the state of the church, over things you've seen. You're, you're hurting right now that if you didn't have me, would you even consider taking your life? And I thought about it and said, yes, Lord, I would. And then he said, what do you think people do that don't have me? And then he began to say, would you at least, out of your own pain and out of your own frustration, because there's nothing more debilitating than a wounded heart, out of your own pain, would you reach out to some others because there's always room for one more at the foot of the cross? That became an earmark for me my whole life since then, that when I'm going through it, I want to go and find a way to be intentional and minister to people, even those who've been rude to me. My daughter and I have this, this thing that we, we used to do that, that in 2 Corinthians 2.14 it says whenever, it says that God always leads us to triumph or victory through Christ Jesus, right? So that we can become dispensers of the fragrance of heaven everywhere we go. Well, that word to dispense is like the Febreze things you find in bathrooms. You know, where every few minutes in a, in a bathroom it could be potentially stinky, it goes <laughs> we are the sprayers of God's fragrance in a stinky world. And so whenever we go through something and people are rude to us and could, and could really set the tone for the rest of our day, I don't want their rudeness or other people's issues that maybe because they're going through something affect the rest of my day. I need to affect them. So my daughter and I would do that. Lisa, come here for a second. So if something that happens, I just look at her and go, it's our way of saying, be the fragrance right now. And it's amazing how being in the fragrance and a kind word or talking to a waitress or a waiter and saying, you know, I don't know what you're going through today, but we believe in prayer and we don't want to embarrass you. But if, if there's a way, is there anything that if, God, if you did want God to do something for, with, for you, I don't care if you believe in God or not, but if, he, if there is God and you do believe he could do something, what would it be? Probably 99.99% of the time, I've never had anybody deny me that. And then we pray. And majority of the time, tears begin to flow. Because God will give us a word in season, even in those moments. One time I was at the post office, and they were being rude to everybody. I was one of the last people in line. Then they shut, because it was a long line, they decided it was right at 5 o'clock. They shut those things. I'm inside. People are still in line going, wait, 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 we've been standing here for a long time. 
They're being real. Well, we get, we're off at five. We're going to finish up the ones that are in here. I said, you know, could you all use a Somebody Cares Bear? Or would you like one of my books? I've got some in the car. I'd like to bless each and every one of you. I thought there was like five because they're working there, right? Everybody in the back starts coming out. <laughs> I, and they said, well, sure. I said, would you do me a favor? Would you let the rest of them in? And I'll go out to my car and I'll get some books and some of the Somebody Cares Bears for you. Well, little did I realize in that moment by being a that just a few weeks later, one of the ladies that we ministered to that worked at the post office passed away. But she had given her life to the Lord that day. See, you never know how we can turn a situation around. And finally, one last story. I've got so many stories, but one last story. Because it's God's intention... The one who is the creator, all things are made two through four and by him. And that you know, every dominion and kingdom, principality, and rulership is subject to him. And that he wants to give that to us. It says in Ephesians 3.10 that it's his intention to give the manifold wisdom or power and anointing to and through the church to minister to the seen and unseen realm. So that Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we ask, think, or imagine, according to the power that what works in us. That's stewardship. When we come into Christ, we have an inheritance. And when you think about what the Heavenly Father did when Jesus was being baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist, the heavens rended, and you hear this voice from heaven, and the Holy Spirit comes like a dove, and the Father says, that's my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's God telling the world, that's my boy. That's my boy. What's your name? Nathan, that no matter what you go through, no matter what difficulties come, here in the back of your mind, hear that voice in your head, that's my boy, Nathan. That's my boy. Because why? We said this morning in the first service, Isaiah 43.1, that we don't have to be afraid because God has called us personally by our name. He formed us. He gave us our name. He knows us by name. And what is your name? Kayla. Kayla. That's my girl, because in Christ, he says, that's my boy, that's my girl. And here's how I do it. Sometimes when I'm going through it and I'm feeling weak, I hear, I hear the Lord say, run, Doug, run, like Forrest Gump. Run, you can do this. Run, Doug, run. That's my boy. When I was in high school baseball, they picked me up in a varsity baseball, second base. I was small, but I was, I was pretty good as a second baseman. And my stepdad, who was a great baseball player, would be in the crowd drunk. Person on first base, getting ready to run second. I'm at second base, getting ready to, to, to play. The ball comes to me. I grab the ball. I touch second base. He's out. I throw the ball as hard as I could, get it to first base, double play, but I didn't do it good enough and fast enough. So in the crowd, my stepdad's cursing me out in front of all my friends. But now I hear the Lord speak to me. That's my boy. You can do this, Doug. That's my boy. Ladies. Put your name there. That's my girl. That's my boy. We have this inheritance that God's already given us. We don't have to take something that he already wants to bless us just because, because, because we carry the family name. Yes. Now let me just finish here. God wants us to get his perspective, whatever you're going through. How many here are going through something you need a breakthrough? How many came here this morning and you needed a drink? And worship just opened up the floodgate for you. There's something about worship. I'd given away my cars, my home, my everything when I first got saved. Living out of a suitcase, got an apartment, had one mattress on the floor and a 
little bookshelf thing going, and I was out on the streets talking to these street kids and runaways. I had 17 kids living in one apartment, six in another, 12 in a house that was given to me. I finally gave that house away because I didn't know about deed restrictions, and the police called and said, you can't do this. You have 12 kids living there. And one of your kids is on the roof saying, the aliens are coming, the aliens are coming. <laughs> That's how I just made myself available. And the God's not calling us all to do it that way. That was my journey that I had to give everything away. The car is a teen challenge. I had no car. People had to drive me around. But they said, we're so glad that we had the privilege of being able to drive you around because we learned so much. One thing my wife did say when we got married, she said, Doug, I heard you give so many things away. Could you just promise me I'll go to the ends of the earth with you, but don't give our house away. <laughs> I came home one night so brokenhearted because so many kids were just rejecting the Lord that night in the highest crime district of our city. I'd walk the streets every night till 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning just talking to kids, not preaching at the wind, but sitting down on the street corner trying to have conversation. My heart was so broken. I got home and I couldn't even cry. I was so overwhelmed. I fell on my knees on the floor over this mattress on the, on the floor. I had nothing else. Oh, somebody gave me a J.C. Penney couch. I'm laying there, just so dry. My heart hurt. And I heard the Lord say in the darkness, give me a drink. Just like the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Give me a drink. I'm thinking, Lord, how can I give you a drink when I need a drink? That's when he began to speak to me, saying, because as you minister to me, I'm the, the well that never runs dry. I'm the living water. So I got up in the middle of the dark. I just started in faith, began to walk around the room, give a sacrifice of praise. First, I didn't feel it. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Bless God. Thank you, Jesus. And soon as I began to pace and just saying the words of adoration, something began to bubble over. Because I was, as I was giving him a drink, he was filling me. Hours went by, and it seemed like moments. I saw the, 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 the dawn begin to arise, begin to get light outside. I could see it coming through the window, and I'm still crying and talking to the Lord. And I'm shedding tears and crying out to God. And something happened to me as I just learned that my answer is not in the things the world can offer, but my answer was in learning to always give him a drink, minister to him, and he would give me a fresh anointing. This morning, that's what some of us felt this morning. But I want to pray for the miracles that God wants to do in your life. I believe, just like the woman with the issue of blood, just like with Hannah in chapter 1 of Sam, 1 Samuel, out of your desperation, out of that place of need, if we give the Lord a drink and we're honest with him, humble ourselves before him, walk in honesty with God and with ourselves, and learn to live by appreciation and honor, there's something about the manifest presence, the anointing of God that will flow and break through for us. That he's the master of the breakthrough, the veil parasite, the master of the breakthrough. If we need a breakthrough this morning, I believe God's going to give it to you. What I'm about to do, I've done all over the world. I don't care if it's 10 kids on the street or 5,000 pastors in another country or 30,000 a crusade. When I do this part or with individuals, for some reason, God honors his word. When Eli said to Hannah in her desperation at the tabernacle of Shiloh, he said to her, go in peace. Out of her human impossibility, he said, go in peace. May the God of Israel give you the petition you've asked of him this day. He was a faulted man, allowing his sons to live in perversion, trying to steward the house of the Lord. But yet God 
took that word, she took the word as if it was from God, held on to it. She came miserable and desperate in a human impossibility. She left there with an expectation of hope. Her countenance changed. Nothing changed immediately, but she had a word from the Lord. And she became the one who birthed a new generation of prophet and judge called Samuel. And we have a memorial of speaking of her all the time now, Anna, out of desperation, new expectation, and birth out of human impossibility, destiny. Out of your human challenges, out of your places of pain, out of the places of a broken heart, God's about to do something that seems impossible, but in him all things are possible. So I'm going to say it to you three times, not as Eli said it, but I'm going to say it in the name of Jesus three times. There's something about saying the name of Jesus, thus saith the Lord in Jesus' name three times to seal the deal. And I've seen individuals get out of deathbeds. I've seen tumors dissolve. Some things instantly and some things take a few days for the process. But I believe God wants to do something so significant for each and every one of you right now that in the next 48 to 72 hours, you'll know that you got a wink from heaven. Before we pray that, and before I declare that over you, I'm going to ask us to be honest, just like we did in the first service, eyeball to eyeball, face to face. There are five things that kept Israel out of the promised land for 40 years. It should have taken 11 days to 14 days. It took them 40 years. Sometimes we have to go through the process to possess the promise. To get the world out of us, as Winky Pratney says, to get the world out of us so we can possess the land of promise. So I'm going to ask you this, because those five things it says in 1 Corinthians 10 that kept Israel out of the promised land was lust, idolatry, is anything that masters or possesses your affections more than Jesus. Three is sexual immorality or sins. That doesn't mean just adultery and fornication. Have we allowed things into our mind, into our ears, into our eyesight, that creates the shar'ar, the gateway to owning our heart and taking control of our spirit. The things we're watching, the things that we've allowed into our spirit, the things that we look at on the internet, we need to, at a time we need discernment more than ever. We need, the, we need the presence of God if we're going to make a difference in this generation. The fourth thing is the place of tempting Christ. So it's lust, idolatry, sexual morality, tempting Christ. What is that? As I was sharing this morning that at a large, very large Baptist university, their chapel service is, is mandatory. So a lot of students that go there are not Christians. But I wanted to get the attention of the non-Christians. So I said, I apologize to all of you who do not profess Christ. I want to take care of dirty laundry with the ones who do profess Christ. So all the non-Christians put their notes down. They want to listen. I said, tempting Christ is this to you Christians. You live like the devil all week and you wonder why the other students and people around you don't want to be like you. You go to church on Sunday with your family, you act like a Christian. Tempting Christ is to put the label of Christ on but not living the characteristics of the kingdom. And the fifth thing stops movements. I've seen them come and go, ebbs and flows, great churches, great movements. If we forget this, murmuring. Murmuring is that spiritual immune deficiency disease. It's cells of the body destroying cells of the body. I know, because I had cancer, stage four cancer in 2015, but I never stopped traveling, kept ministering, believing in healing. People said, how can you pray for healing and miracles when you're going through this guy? I said, because my circumstance doesn't change who God is, but God changes my circumstance. 
And while in faith I was ministering the word of God, and because God's word is true, God was doing a work in me. By the end of that year, no evidence of disease. I even ran the rocky steps in the middle of all that. Ball-headed, pick line, running the flags of the nations, praying for our country and praying for the nations of the world. And I hate to run. But I ran those flags of the nations. My wife followed me and started taking camera and put it up on the YouTube the not that night to the song. Dun -da -dun -da -dun -da -da -dun. <laughs> Doug runs the rocky steps. But in faith, I was running those things, praying for the church in the midst of my own need, praying for the nations. Ran up those 72 steps and I felt so good, I went back and did it again. And I hate to run. I don't think I had much cartilage left after all the sports years. So murmuring is those cells of the body destroying cells of the body. Let's not be those who stop moves of God and, and become a seditious spirit. We need to be one voice, one sound in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God. God wants to do something fresh. I believe in the month of Tishri that we're in now, in the middle of the days of all, on the 21st day of the month of Tishri, we see what happened when Haggai gave a word to Zerubbabel, to Joshua, the ministry, and to all the people. When he said, don't be afraid, keep working. Remember God's promises and covenant, for the Lord is with you. When heaven and earth and sea and dry land are shaken, and we know shakings are here, they're able to get through those times because they have God's promise. And it says that the glory of the latter house became greater than the former. Now, contextually, we know we're talking about the larger context, but I believe God is speaking to faith church. God is speaking to some of us here that are involved in, in, in ministry or businesses that, that you've been believing for a long time for God to redig the wells of revival in your movement or here in the city. The days of Amy Simple McPherson, the days of Elam, the days of, of, of uh, Charles Finney. How many know that God has a redemptive plan that he still wants to bring alive? And we get to be a part of it. So I'm going to ask you to be honest before I pray for God's miracles. If you have lust or idolatry, sexual sins, tempting Christ and murmuring, and the Holy Spirit's convicting you, it doesn't matter what people think. It's better for us to be honest with God, which attracts His presence, than to be later publicly humiliated because God loves us enough to expose us. So if there's things in your life right now you know that are not pleasing to the Lord, I never allow people to bow their heads. But on the count of three, if there's things you know the Holy Spirit's convicting you of, just stand with me where you are so we can pray and then pray for God's breakthrough. One, two, three. Anyone else? Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Thank you. There's things in your life that you know are not pleasing to the Lord. Lust, idolatry, sexual sins, tempting Christ, murmuring. The Holy Spirit's speaking to us. If you're standing right now, would you just come stand with us? Don't be embarrassed. This is a time to rejoice because God knows he can trust you because of honesty. If there's things in your life you know that you need it, that you, God is doing and dealing with you on, just come. Thank you. Then there are others here. They're saying, I need a fresh drink. I've been in a desert. I need a fresh anointing, a fresh drink, or I need that breakthrough. If that's you, just stand where you are. You need a fresh drink, a breakthrough, a miracle in your life right now where you are. When Job prayed for his friends, is this not working? Okay. When Job prayed for his friends, it says that that which was taken was restored with a double portion also. 
There's something about when you pray for others out of your own need that God gives you your breakthrough. So those that are standing needing a breakthrough or a fresh drink or a miracle, stretch your hands towards those that are standing here. And let's all put our hands on our hearts and let's pray together. Would you pray with me? What's your name, young man? Cayman, God called you by your name. And the ones that God wants to use the most are the ones the devil tries to distract. God has a great purpose for you. And just like every one of us here, some of you have children or loved ones that maybe are not serving God, but those are the ones God really wants to use. And I believe God's going to give you the breakthrough and hear your heart's cries today. Put your hands on your heart. Let's pray together. And pray like you really mean it. Say, Lord Jesus. Come on, like you mean it. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins and the things I've done that have broken your heart and brought shame to your name. Right now, by faith, I give you the right to change my mind, change my thinking, change my life, change my heart. I give you the right to do whatever you need to do to help me to be who you called me to be. Jesus, thank you for forgiving me of my sins and give me a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit and to walk in the destiny you've called me to walk in. In Jesus' name. Now listen to me. How many need a physical breakthrough right now? Or maybe marriage, a financial breakthrough, whatever you need, just raise your hand and now hear what the word of the Lord says to you. I'm not saying I'm a prophet, but I'm going to prophesy over you according to God's word. Thus saith the Lord. No matter how you came in today, I'm saying, thus saith the Lord, go in peace. And may the Lord Jesus Christ give you the desires of your heart this morning. And again, I say to you, thus saith the Lord, go in peace. And may the Lord Jesus Christ give you the desires of your heart this morning. And again, I say to you, go in peace. And may the Lord Jesus Christ give you the desires of your heart this morning. Father, we, according to your word, character, nature, and spirit, we seal what you're doing. God, I'm praying for salvation and healing and liberation and deliverance and freedom, God. I thank you that destinies are coming forth. I thank you, Lord, there is nothing too difficult for you that our human impossibility, you're doing something so great that seeds of destiny are coming forth and people walk into that destiny to be the men and the women of God you've called them to be. And together as a congregation, together as the church of the region, God, we will see the seeds of revival come alive, the redeeming of the revivals of the past, God, for the context of today and the revival that's needed for tomorrow. God, we know that the nations are looking and we're praying that the nations will see that Jesus Christ is Lord here in Rochester, here in this state, here across this generation, God, that there will be a multi-generational, multi-ethnic gathering of your people that will go forth with the authority, the anointing, and the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Now listen to me. I'm praying a personal desire. God, I pray for the next 48 to 72 hours you would do something so significant that we will know that you gave us a wink from heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor. Thanks again for listening to our Faith Church podcast. We are so glad you chose to listen to this message. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to receive notifications when we release new content. Also, 
Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Faith Church Rock to find out more information about what is currently happening at Faith Church.